When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Forever Dog I used to think that this was my town What a stupid thing to think I hear you biting off a brain now I myself am on the brain I used to want to be a real man I don't know what that even means I just want you in my arms again And we can search each other's dreams What's up, 3Bs? What's up, Diamond Dogs? What's up, Athletic Gerbils? It's Rhea Butcher, the host of this here podcast, Three Swings. It's a podcast about baseball and other things, and I want to be totally honest with you uh, and celebrate this fact about myself that I am recording this podcast shirtless in my home. I also often walk outside shirtless. Uh, if you're like, what, uh, and you haven't been listening or you maybe just weren't paying attention, which is totally understandable because uh, there's a lot going on uh, these days. There always has been, but it feels like a lot more because it's happening right now. Uh, I had top surgery almost a year ago. September 2nd is my like rebirth coming home day. Um, and, you know, when I had that surgery, I thought, I don't know that I'll ever be like running around shirtless and I do (laughs) I mean I haven't had the guts or honestly the situation to be shirtless out and about in like super public areas yet um I can be somewhat thankful to the pandemic for that giving me some time and some space but I will say that this is what I was looking for the whole time so anybody that listened to the episode last week thank you And uh, you'll know that at the end of that podcast, I sort of came to my own realization of like, oh, this, it was that, not that I was incorrect, I did not want to change in terms of my body and my transness and my non-binariness and and all those things. Um, So thank you for listening. Thank you for being here today. Um, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go through some baseball stuff and then we'll wrap it up again with some more non-binary trans stuff, which is what we've kind of been doing. Um, and thank you to everybody that's listened. There was a listener on Twitter whose name, of course, I didn't write down. Uh, but they were very saddened to hear that I did not mention your mean Mercedes. And, uh, guess what? I'm going to write that wrong. (laughs) I'm going to write that wrong. Bench coach Brett and I, you know, we made an error in judgment. Sometimes it happens when you're, you know, the ball is in play and you just, you miss something. So we do our best here at three swings. Uh, it's a podcast about baseball and other things. Um, I've been working, doing acting, has been my main thing. I have been experiencing some gratitude for still being around on the other end of this pandemic. And I'll be honest with you, moments before I got onto this podcast, uh, it is Sunday. It is 4.21 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. I spent I'm not even going to say too much time on the internet. It was a small amount of time on Twitter. I have spent exceedingly less time on that website, and it has benefited me greatly. Um, 
each person needs to do whatever feels right for them. But I will tell you, the less I go onto that thing, the less, uh, you know, dopamine reward I get because I get less favorites because I'm tweeting less, all those things. But I get in and I get out. And today I got in and uh, I can't even tell you the number of mass shootings that are now happening currently in this moment. Um, and that is not freedom to me. I don't, uh, I do not understand how you could look at this situation and consider that to be a free country. I'm beginning to understand even deeper now, uh, you know, these concepts, you know, that we hold to be self-evident, um, are only as self-evident as much as we can see them. And if you are in any position of privilege, which, which, at some point in all of our lives, we all each are. Um, but I am, you know, a white person, and I was sold the idea that democracy is real. This country was founded on certain principles, on freedom, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And uh, I don't actually think that was true. <laughs> and I don't think that you can actually say, I believe that is something that we can strive towards. I do. If I didn't think that, then what would be the point? But I don't look backwards for the answer. I look forwards and I look inwards for the answers these days. And I will say the fear that my mother would die of COVID because she has to go to work, then shifting from the fear of my mother dying in a mass shooting because she has to go to work is not living in a free country. And and this is minimal for me. So I, 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 mean, I don't mean it's minimal for me. I just mean like I'm just one person talking about one person in my life. There are other people who feel that threat every... I mean, I came home from the grocery store today, read all this stuff on Twitter and was like, oh, wow, I guess that probably could have just happened, you know? Um, and I'm not living in fear. It is simply an acknowledgement of what is actually happening on a daily basis. And I am someone who was in high school when Columbine happened. I There are answers. There are solutions. Violence is not something that I believe will ever be eradicated from the earth. I mean, it depends on your definition of violence, you know. Um, and, and so a very basic one, if we speak only in human terms, because... I don't believe that animals are capable of violence. They do what they need to do to survive. So the things that they do, like predators and prey, they're not premeditated. <laughs> you know, uh, they're not based in, uh, you know, illness. They're not based in abuse. They're not based in those things. They're based in survival. Um, and so when I speak of violence, I only mean human violence. And I don't, I think it, it could be eradicated one day. I doubt that I will see that and not in a nihilistic way, just in a uh, realistic way in that it doesn't matter if I see it or not, because I feel like we so often in American culture think we need to see the results for it to be worth fighting for. And so I continue to have beliefs and opinions and thoughts on things that A, might I might never see, like, at this point, a minimum wage higher than $15, uh, college uh, debt wiped out, uh, uh, healthcare, universal health care, 
uh, defunding and abolishing the police. I believe in all of these things. And it does not matter if they happen today. I still believe in them and continue to because I do believe that it is the way towards light and peace and life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Again, this is a baseball podcast. So to come back to violence, it the only violence that I can control is my own. You know, that is the only violence that I have any control over is is my my action towards violence, my th- thoughts towards violence, those things. So that that is within my control. And that is something that I work on every day. Um, I've worked on my temper. I have I continue to seek those things. I've been granted a lot of uh, re- relief and reprieve from those things and doing a lot of, you know, therapy, other types of uh self-work i guess um and so i cannot control other people the only thing i can do is put out into the world what i want to see in the world but i will say that outside of that in terms of changing the laws or the function of society i do believe that if you know violence in a human um, which we are all all prone to violence because we're human. It's part of our imperfection as human beings. If that violence has less opportunity to uh, expand, if that violence has less opportunity to be to escalate itself. So when I say this, I mean if if a violent if a person experiencing violent outbursts illness sickness and and wants to take that out on other human beings they cannot get a semi-automatic or automatic rifle they the the amount of damage they can do can be curbed by us as people and it is a choice we can make these weapons were banned up until george w bush left off it was like one of his swan songs so I think banning an assault rifle is a a, pos- a step in the right direction. Um, I don't think we can overnight overturn the Second Amendment, but we can regulate the types of weapons people are able to have. And I also do not use the phrase, we should not have weapons of war on our streets, because I don't think we should have weapons of war on our streets, but we should not have weapons of war on anyone's streets. And that means across the globe. And I will say that the things we do come back on us. And some of this, this culture of violence, this culture of military, this culture of constant ongoing war, of paranoia, of each other, of fear that we are going to have something taken from us is uh, ingrained in American culture in xenophobia, in racism, in transphobia, in misogyny, in all of it. It it is it is a through line through all of it is the fear of the other because we stole it. The settler mindset is that I will take from you and I will kill you to prevent you from getting it back. So of course, this is all ingrained and embedded in this culture and we have to dig it out. But we've been carrying this throughout. We have not been carrying democracy throughout the globe. We've been carrying war and imperialism and dominance and hierarchy and capitalism throughout the the globe. And so 
you reap what you sow. And it is coming back to quote Malcolm X in regards to John F. Kennedy being assassinated. He said, America's chickens have come back to roost. And I do not see fault in that. I, I, it is harsh. It is, uh, strongly worded, but it's not untrue. The things that we do come back on us and it is coming back on us a hundredfold. And we, it has, it has gone so unchecked that it actually is not even along, you know, the, 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 the lines of, well, it's only white men that are doing this shit. Well, that has gone out the window. Uh, and do we want diversity in violence or do we want to accept human beings as imperfect and give them more opportunities for love and kindness and compassion, which is to say community, education, healthcare, possibility, creation? Or do we want to keep destroying our environment, our humanity, and our actual bodies? I mean, that is the choice that we're given every day. So today it's a it's a it's a funny meme on Twitter. The today I choose violence, but today I do not choose violence. Today I choose love and kindness and peace and not in a fluffy, I'm not paying attention. I do not care. My head is in the clouds. I'm fine. Peace and love. I literally mean I choose peace and love. I got really upset at somebody yesterday <laughs> and I didn't take it out on them and I didn't take it out on my partner and I didn't take it out on me. And I hope that the next time I can be even a little bit more uh, f- uh, in flow about it and instead of getting as upset as I did, perhaps just letting it go. So that's what I mean when I say peace and love. I love myself. I love all of you. I wish the best for us. And this is just not the best. We have uh, a military here that is uh, occupying our communities and has been for a long time in the police and the sheriff's department and the National Guard. And then we have the military that has been occupying the globe for since, what, World War II, the Korean War. I don't know. I'm not like a historian. Um, but I, I, I beg of you to choose peace and love today. If in at least to yourself, and treat yourself with some kindness, give yourself a break today. We do not need to beat ourselves up and wallow in what's going on. We can send love, we can send peace, we can send all these things to the people who are suffering, which is a lot of people. And I know that it sounds cheesy, and you can choose to <laughs> see it as cheesy, but I it does work. Um, and it makes you more able to be open to working instead of, you know, my path right now is I, I am, I am trying to find the good in these things, not in, in like in baseball, because there's plenty of bad to be found, but I'm trying to find the good as opposed to like continually being critical, which is not to say that I'm not critical. I just have to balance both things. So that was not planned. I, uh, <laughs> I'm just, I don't, I, I'm just unsure, you know, I, I, I feel as though the sort of individual, the individualization of this country, American culture, I should say like, you know, white patriarchal heteronormative 
sort of Anglo-Saxon puritanical American culture. I, because there are many cultures within America, but I mean that one, the, the white supremacist one. Um, I started listening to this amazing book called Braiding Sweetgrass, and I'm barely into it. And it's it's really it's really expanding my heart and my experience of life, I guess. Um, and I just think the fact that we have a lot more to gain by staying together. We don't have to like each other is the thing. Nowhere does it say, well, you got to like everybody. You have to, the job is to love everyone, which is a deeper thing than liking everybody. I don't like everybody. I don't need to be liked by everybody. I'm not for everybody. If I was for everybody, I would have a terrible life, I think, <laughs> because I would be doing everything for everybody else. Um, and so the job is not to like everyone, you know? So that is where my practice around less criticism and accepting some minor faults in hopes of solidarity and unity with those who are also fighting against oppressors. And at a certain point, you'll be able to find unity with those oppressors, but not before then. Not before then, and not on their terms. They find unity with us, is the thing. So, to get into some baseball, because I uh, haven't been warming up my voice, and of course I didn't do it today, and so I want to be able to get through all these notes without uh, losing my voice. So here we are, another week of baseball and another no-hitter. Carlos Rodon hit a no-hitter, hit a no-hitter, threw a no-hitter. The source on this one is the New York Times. Wow. White Sox left-handed pitcher Carlos Rodon threw the second no-hitter of the young baseball season last Wednesday, losing his bid for a perfect game on a hit batter with one out in the ninth inning as Chicago cruised to an 8-0 victory over Cleveland. Sidelined by a string of injuries throughout his career, Rodon was out of a job for a while last winter. Back in December, the White Sox declined to offer him a 2021 contract. The number three pick in the 2014 amateur draft re-signed with the team as a free agent, agreeing to a one-year deal for $3 million on February 1st. It was the first no-hitter for the White Sox since Lucas Giolito pitched one August 25th last year against Pittsburgh and the 20th in franchise history, second most among major league teams behind the Dodgers. Pretty fantastic. He seemed super gassed at the end of it. I love to see success for the Chicago White Sox. I love to see success for the Chicago White Sox. I enjoyed seeing games there. I love the uh, I love the chip on the shoulder that the Chicago White Sox and the fan base have compared to the Cubs. Um, and so I'm always going to be excited for the boys in black, you know. Um, and I'm just happy for an old guy. I mean, how old is he? Like 30? <laughs> I mean, just happy for him. Also just awesome to have this many no-hitters already. And each of them were perfect games deep into the game um, and then lost on a hit-by-pitch. So just kind of fun fun stat skis coming together. Um, and now, moving on to a little bit more pitching, Jacob deGrom strikes out nine in a row. The source on this one is ESPN. Mets ace and two-time Cy Young Award winner Probably soon to be three. Jacob deGrom struck out nine straight batters against the Colorado Rockies on Saturday, falling one shy of matching fellow Met Tom Seaver's major league record of 10 consecutive strikeouts. Tom Seaver, you might 
remember, uh, actually passed away due to COVID. Uh, that I was reminded of that this week by Twitter, maybe? I can't remember. Um, and I just wanted to put that back out there because I feel like in certain circles, there are gonna it's going to be sort of washed over that certain people were died to, of COVID. Um, and so I just want to point that out and remember Tom Seaver, who passed away from COVID in 2020. Uh, the fastball was the best weapon for him, Mets manager Luis Rojas said. It's special. You don't see that often. You talk about Jake getting better every year. And he goes out there, and we talked about the challenge of the weather, so it's a little bit of a different start. He makes an adjustment and does something special. <clears throat> I mean, the guy just knows how to throw a baseball. Is pretty, And he gets faster. He gets faster and harder. Uh, the strikeout streak ended in the fifth inning when the Rockies took a 3-1 lead with three unearned runs, but the Mets rallied to win 4-3. De DeGrom finished with 14 strikeouts. He also struck out 14 in his previous start, a 3-0 loss to Miami. Uh, I mean, that's going to be the death of DeGrom, right? Like somebody was talking about he's going to be the first pitcher in the Hall of Fame with a, like a, a negative uh, win record. Despite the Mets' offseason acquisition of Francisco Lindor, run support and defensive support continues to plague DeGrom's otherwise elite pitching performances. DeGrom's ERA over his last 79 starts with the Mets going back to 2018 has been 2.03. And the Mets' record in those starts is 37 and 42. DeGrom's ERA this year is .45, and his record is 1-1 one one after three starts. He has a .45 ERA, and out of three starts, he's won one of them. Um, I mean, the Mets are just going to Mets. I think this is the year that I really understand what the pain of being a Mets fan is. I have a lot of uh, new friendships with Mets fans. And I thought that I could find uh, similarities in my former fandom of uh, the Cleveland franchise. And it's a whole different sadness. It's a whole different sadness um, for the Mets. So uh, much love to you. I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> I really don't. <laughs> I uh, uh, much love to you, I guess, as a Mets fan. Uh, and speaking of both of these pitching performances, is this the year of pitching? In addition to DeGrom's excellence and the two no-hitters in as many weeks, the 2021 men's baseball season has been superior pitching performances uh, across the board. From familiar faces like Garrett Cole, Shane Bieber, Clayton Kershaw, Hugh Darvish, and Lucas Giolito, as well as breakout stars like Tyler Glasnow, Corbin Burns, uh, Joe Musgrove, Sandy Alcantara, and Jose Barrios of the Twins, is this year more likely to be remembered for pitching performances or hitting performances? I mean, I think it's going to be remembered for both. Now, I think you might be like, well, that seems like a really, that's a cop-out answer. And I don't think it is, because we already have Acuna um, headed for, what, a 60-60 season? I mean, his uh, his extra base hits or doubles uh, in, in 14 games is matched only by Henry Aaron. So we're looking at hitting that is off the charts and pitching that is off the charts because we have this. It reminds me of 2014, 2015 with Jake Arrieta and the lowest ERAs in the dead ball era. <clears throat> and it was almost like we had two or three pitchers like that. And now all of the pitchers are like that. Um, and they just have, you know, <laughs> many substances at their disposal and the data to back it up. Um, and it's just changed 
the game completely. I mean, we also have to throw in Trevor Bauer into this equation. We just can't ignore him, even if we don't like him, uh, because the numbers fit. I do think that he uh, will have a blowout of some sort. I think he's going to be a bust at the worst moment, or maybe that's just wishful thinking. Um, but I think that it will be remembered for Acuna's hitting performance. It it remains to be seen how Tatis will perform. I mean, he homered in his first game back after his labrum tear, so I'm not too worried. But you know, it's I think this is the year of Acuna and the year of pitching. Um, because it's so spread out. I mean, none of these, w- with the exception of uh. You Darvish and Joe Musgrove, that's all Padres. The rest of these names are pretty spread out across the league. So we're not looking at just, you know, like uh, an Atlanta 95 rotation. We're like talking about the whole league, essentially. Um, And speaking of Ronald Acuna, we are going to talk about Ronald Acuna Jr.'s hot start. Atlanta outfielder Ronald Acuna Jr. is off to a scorching hot start this year. And I know so much because A, I've been paying attention, and B, I've been playing against him in fantasy baseball. Yes, I probably should have chosen Ronald Acuna in my first draft pick. So whoever told me that I should have, you were right. Uh, And is making an early case for NL MVP. I believe that he will get it. Uh, Even as Atlanta sits at the bottom of a stacked NL East with a 6-9 record. Now that I did not realize because I've been focused so much on individual performances right now. Acuna is batting 433, 493, 917 with seven home runs, 16 RBI, 20 runs, and three stolen bases. He leads the NL in home runs, RBI, and hits, and he's second in batting average at 433. granted it's early in the season, but do you think Acuna can hit for the cycle this year? And who is his strongest competition for NL MVP? I believe that his strongest competition right now is Jacob deGrom for NL MVP. Um, right now at this moment, who do I think for the rest? Who do I think the rest of the field is going to be? Uh, Tatis jr. Um, maybe we see Mookie Betts. Maybe we see Mookie Betts on there. I don't really know. This is a great question. I didn't read these notes before I got behind the microphone. Um, but I think it's Acuna's to lose. It's honestly that, and I don't think that he will. Will Freddie Freeman be in the mix there? Probably. Um, I I don't I don't think I just don't think anybody's going to touch Acuna. I mean, he is doing he is on another level this year. Um. Can't do I think he's gonna hit for the cycle? I don't that that I'm I I I think will happen less. Um, because I just think he has so much power. He's gonna be the kind of guy that gets a triple, a double, a homer, and then can't get a single. But I would love to eat my words. I would love to see Acuna hit for the cycle this year. I love it when anybody hits for the cycle. It's just like a fun, silly thing. Other people hate it. I love it. Uh, and speaking of things that I love, your man Mercedes source on this one is Chicago Tribune. Chicago White Sox rookie DH, your man Mercedes is off to an, an historically great start in his first full season in the majors, setting an MLB record by going eight for eight in his first eight at bats with five singles, two doubles, and one home run. He also hit the longest homer of the season on April 8th. 
a 485-foot bomb off Kansas City Royal starter, Brad Keller. Not a guy that I like very much. Mercedes is currently batting 457, 5739 with three home runs, 11 RBI, and 21 hits. He is the AL leader in batting average. Mercedes is a 28-year-old rookie who has bounced around three organizations, originally signed by the Nationals and spending time with the Orioles before the White Sox signed him in 2018. He wasn't expected to be a big part of the lineup, but Eloy Jimenez's injury opened up playing time for him. Now, this is one of those moments where we are saddened by the, the loss of someone onto the injured list, but it opens up possibility for someone else, and Yerman Mercedes has jumped in. Not only has his performance been outstanding, he his presence in the game and on the field is spectacular. I love watching him running out of the dugout. He was one of the first guys out to to, to hug Carlos Rodon at the end of his uh, no hitter. He's just like a, a, a just a lovely, lovable, loving presence in baseball, and I am so grateful for him. I also have him in one of my fantasy leagues, and I love watching him play. It's just like I'm so grateful for the White Sox. I'm so happy for White Sox fans. You deserve it. You dirt. You deserve it. You really, really do. And speaking of deserving it, uh, this will be our last baseball story, and then we'll finish up this episode of Three Swings. Uh, the Dodgers Padres series, which I don't know if you've been watching any of it. I've been catching a lot of it. NOS Powerhouse, the Los Angeles Dodgers, and the San San the San Diego Padres played their long-awaited opening series of the 2021 season this week, and so far it has not disappointed. The Dodgers took the opening two games of the series, but both were highly competitive nail-biters with Game 1 going 12 innings and Game 2 coming down to the final out. A tremendous diving catch by Mookie Betts that saved the would-be tying run. Now, that catch had a 10% catch probability. He also ran something like 54 feet in 3.2 seconds. It is an incredible catch. And I am sorry that it happened to the Padres. Uh, they also had two fights in the amount in, in as many days. Benches clearing, bullpen clearing fights. Um, I got to say, as a Southern baseball fan, as a fan of the Dodgers to varying extents at different points, <laughs> I am very grateful to have a competitive Padres team. I'm very grateful for... San Diego to have a team that is fun to watch. They deserve it. They deserve it. This episode is all about people deserving love and kindness and happiness. And I am so happy for the Padres to have this team. They're exciting. They're, they're scoring, they're winning. And I love it. The Dodgers and the Padres have the, all the makings of a classic rivalry this year coming off last year's playoff series, which the Dodgers won three to nothing. The Padres acquired former Cy Young winner, Blake Snell, and Cy Young runner-up Hugh Darvish to complement their powerful offensive core of Fernando Tatis Jr., Manny Machado, and Trent Grisham, plus Will Myers and Eric Hosmer, plus Jerickson Profar, all contributing greatly in this lineup. They are hitting all the way through. While the Dodgers added reigning Cy Young Award winner Trevor Bauer, to my discontent, uh, to their World Series championship team to create what some are already calling one of the best teams of all time. 
Did the Dodgers Padres live up to my expectations? Is there anything the Padres can do to get over the hump and notch a few wins against the Dodgers team? <clears throat> I think that something that the, the Padres have have witnessed and learned over this weekend, and I've heard so much, is that they see how patient the Dodgers are at hitting. And if they can get over that hump, if their pitchers can add something to their arsenals, uh, and I don't know what that is because I'm not a pitching coach and I don't really have a lot of uh, versatility in that area. Uh, <clears throat> if they can find some way, some knockout pitch for the Dodgers, they they can get over that hump. But I think it's going to be really exciting and really fun to watch these teams play each other. And I'm super grateful for it because I just feel like the West in both the AL and the NL has been somewhat non-competitive, no shade to the Rockies fans or uh, Angels or anybody like that. I just mean we finally have it a little more depth in terms of the division. It's shifted around a little bit, and I'm grateful for that. It's, I think, more fun. I don't know. <laughs> you know, I think it's more fun when you have co- competition. Um, so that's that's what I'm looking. That's what I'm excited about. That's what I'm grateful for. Really stoked to watch the Padres. Really happy for Padres fans. They have a wonderful team, and I I am not into city rivalries because um, I I just have bigger fish to fry. <laughs> so the last thing that I would like to talk about on this episode is uh Brit- friend of the show Brittany De La Creta's uh, article uh, on Sports Illustrated this past week. Friend of the podcast Brittany De La Creta wrote a must read article for Sports Illustrated calling. Living non-binary in a binary sports world that asks the question, while many trans athletes have become political lightning rods, non-binary people like the WNBA's Lycia Clarendon are left out of the conversation. In a sex-segregated sports world, where do they fit in? The article presents New York Liberty Guard Clarendon's experiences in the WNBA bubble last season a time when Clarendon was living in quarantined isolation from their pregnant wife, serving as one of the league's faces of the Say Her Name campaign created to raise awareness for black female victims of police brutality and anti-black violence in the United States, and deciding to get top surgery. Uh, Clarendon alternately uses he, she, and they pronouns. So this is a quote from Brittany's article. Clarendon had no idea whether the WNBA would support their decision to have top surgery, a gender affirmation procedure, It removes a person's breasts and reshapes their chest to be flat, but they knew they would have the surgery regardless of how the league responded. The medical decision was not the struggle for Clarendon. The challenge was in figuring out whether she would be accepted by a sports world that was not designed for non-binary trans people like her. She'd quietly updated the pronouns in her Twitter bio, bio over the summer, but this was something different altogether. In the binary world of sports, leagues exist for men and for women. Clarendon sometimes feel like both of those things and other times feels like neither. I can say from my own experience, I relate. (laughs) Um, And while I do not play sports professionally in a, you know, binary sports league, I wrestled with some of these same things. Am I, am I going to be, you know, kicked out of comedy, this area in comedy and kicked into another one that I don't belong in? Um, if I use a women's restroom, is everybody going to think I'm a woman? Do I have to start using the men's restroom? I don't feel comfortable doing that because I've literally never done it. Like, I, it just presents all these 
uh, new things. And this article, this this uh, you know sort of experience with Laishia Clarendon is just tremendous. And we're going to link to the article uh, in the show notes. So please take the time to read it. Um, and some more quotes from the article. It's generally considered bad form to focus on the particulars of trans people's bodies. But as a professional athlete, the decisions Clarendon or any trans athlete makes about their body are incredibly consequential. Careers can hinge on them. The questions Clarendon considered included, what will the recovery look like and how will it impact my 2021 season? The league and my team have a right to know a lot about my body because it affects my play, but is there anything personal that the league can't ask me about? I know I am going to publicly talk about my top surgery, but what if another player has top or bottom surgery and doesn't want to share that with the team or the public? If the league doesn't support me, can I be fired? These are all really wonderful questions, and I I just want to applaud uh, Laishia Clarendon for sharing this. So, well, sharing their life in general, um, and so so willingly, vulnerably, and powerfully. Um, and I just also want to take a moment that, like, I just want to share with people this idea that has just sort of been bouncing around in my head, and it's coming up in reading this article to you. Um, <clears throat> like, I have felt, I have taken my time with sharing my experience with the uh, uh, surgery um, transition, hormones, like all those things. I've taken time to do it in a mindful way. And, you know, things feel weird still, but overall my experience has been pretty good. Um, and it's a, it's a daily check-in for me of like what I want to share, what feels right, all those things. Um, but I just want to share that because just because somebody is sharing something publicly or, and or on a public level does not mean that that person wants to talk about that at any point <laughs> other than when they are sharing it. Um, and I just want to share that with everybody. I would assume that most people that listen to this podcast would sort of have that, that innately in them, but I just want to share that, you know, and, and I don't mean, don't ever ask any questions and da, 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 da. It's just that I, I just think it's helpful to remember that about each other that, um, you know, just because somebody is talking about an experience doesn't mean that it's anybody's business. And I know that that is seems contradictory or hypocritical, but I, I, I guarantee you it's not. Um, and I have found ways to speak to people and ask them about themselves without, by being direct, but not inquisitive or, um, forward or, you know, digging into the, it's like, people will share with you what they want to share with you. You don't have to, you know, it's, it's a, it's a balancing act sometimes of, of being direct and, and, and prying, you know? So I just wanted to share that, like, just because this person is sharing so openly does not mean then like when she's walking down the street that they want to hear, uh, Hey, what, you know, questions. <laughs> and I know that's like very far-fetched, but it's just something I thought I would share that like just because somebody's sharing something or just because somebody says my pronouns are they them, by the way, means that's opening up a conversation about it. It is not. In fact, the only response to that should just be like, thanks or got it or appreciate it. Hear you. Feel you. Thank you. That's it. Like, honestly, at this point in my life, you don't even need to apologize. <laughs> you know? 
like let's just let's just keep going. So anyway, let's just keep going. The article is essential reading in its, in its entirety as it explores the WNBA's support of Clarendon as well as the general unpreparedness of professional sports leagues to support non-binary athletes. As the article points out, the WNBA supported Clarendon as well as it did only because Clarendon advocated for themselves behind the scenes for months. In contrast, when Canadian soccer player Quinn, a midfielder for the OL Reign of the National Women's Soccer League, came out as non-binary and transgender in 2020, the league's official Twitter account took weeks to acknowledge the event and the Reign's account took even longer when the nwsl finally did acknowledge it it was a quote tweet of the bbc's coverage of quinn's coming out and in quinn's <clears throat> first televised game after coming out broadcasters got their pronouns wrong on air um <clears throat> so it's new territory in a public sphere for athletes to be coming out i i am uh, i have immense gratitude for the people who are openly sharing that they are trans and non-binary um, because it is breaking apart a lot of our belief systems. And that is deep, powerful work. But something that came up for me when reading about it and just thinking about how like Martina Navratilova is actively fighting against specifically trans women in sports um, you know, this is a person who was closeted for her career to have a career. She did not come out until she was done. Um, and that is her journey. Like, I don't bring that up to judge, but I bring it up as context. And then you have somebody like Venus Williams, who was essentially persecuted by line judges for her hair, her style of play, uh, definitely rooted in racism and uh, misogynoir, um, who who was fighting actively for equal pay at Wimbledon as she was playing at Wimbledon. Um, and so you have like, you, you have two different types of people in this world, people who fight to keep the doors closed and people who fight to, to blow the doors off the hinges. Um, and so I just, I appreciate the people in sport who are blowing the doors off the hinges and they are, sometimes suffering consequences of this in losing their jobs, losing opportunities. Harrison Brown uh, was in the uh, a women's hockey league. And uh, once he started taking testosterone, he was kicked out. And I think something that gets to the root of all this is that culturally, especially in sports, we believe as a culture that there is an inherent advantage to be, to being a quote man in sports and that's just not true it just isn't true you can point to everything around us and you can point to major league baseball and the nba versus the you can point to all of that and say well that it, it's true look look at this it doesn't compare but there are many underlying factors and you're only looking at the top level of everything <laughs> you're not actually opening the lens wide enough the scope wide enough to realize that there are a lot of people and there are a lot of types of people and there's a lot of expression within the world. And we're not even catching a glimpse of what is possible in our world. So I think 
Lasia Clarendon uh, for what what they have continued to do, what he continues to do in his career, in his life. Um, and I am just like experiencing a ton of gratitude for these athletes, Chris Mosier. Um, and please, you know, keep doing what you can uh, to support trans people, trans children. Uh, Chase Strangio was on the show a couple weeks ago. And when he said this is genocide, he was not speaking in hyperbole. It is uh, genocide. Uh, the right wing evangelical extremists are hell bent on wiping out trans people. Uh, They're passing bills in Texas to remove children from their homes. Um, and the United States specifically has a long and storied history and present of uh, child separation. It happens with migrants. It happened uh, in slavery. It happened after slavery. It continues to happen today to the poor. Um, and so when you see it, that's what it is. Child separation is child separation. It is to indoctrinate children and to remove them from a loving home. Um, so scary. It sounds really scary. It sounds unwinnable. But these things are are won and changed on a day-to-day basis by loving yourself and those around you and helping people to understand that these things are not as scary as they thought and we're all just human beings and we're all here together. So I appreciate you all. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, this has been Three Swings. And as always, if you liked it, you liked it. Forever Dog. This has been a Forever Dog production. Executive produced by Brett Boehm, Joe Cilio, and Alex Ramsey. For more original podcasts, please visit foreverdogpodcasts.com and subscribe to our shows on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Keep up with the latest Forever Dog news by following us on Twitter and Instagram at Forever Dog Team and liking our page on Facebook.